I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Shira, Progressive of Power. Uh, today we are talking about free speech, which is pretty interesting because so we're we're banked about a month ahead on these episodes, and this is the first episode we're recording after Charlottesville and uh, the free speech rallies. So I can't imagine that'll come up. Free speech rallies in quotation marks. Right. Uh, absolutely in quotation marks. So let's talk about this episode: a loss for words. So the essential plot is uh, there's a few kind of peasant dudes who are organizing uh, uh, to join the rebels in a village called Galebreath, and Shadow Weaver gets wind of this and decides the best way to stop their organizing is to literally steal their voices, which is just this great example of the uh something metaphorical becoming literal in a a children's cartoon. So she comes up with a spell to steal the men's voices. And as it happens, because Adora is there to convince some of the kind of dudes on the fence to join, she also gets Adora's voice, which means, uh uh-oh, Adora cannot turn into She-Ra. Unfortunately, that part of the episode doesn't last super long. There's not a lot of actual challenges that come out of that, but Adora and Bo go to the Fright Zone, rescue all their voices, which are in little bubbles, and when you pop the bubbles, the people get their voices back. And just like the most kind of self-centered of white men in real life, as soon as these dudes figure out that the Horde affects them, they're like, oh yeah, well, fuck the Horde, we're going to join the Rebels. So that's how the episode ends, with all the dudes being like, cool, the Rebellion is great, and uh, Hordak is pissed at Shadow Weaver because he thinks that her magic is silly, and Horde science is where it's at. But science can't steal a voice like magic can. But that's basically the meat of the episode, is like this parable about how... Um, your voice is what leads to political organization, and without it, you you do not have this power. So that's where we're starting. And again, you know, in the wake of these in quotes free speech rallies, uh, so what's your take on all this? Well, given the current actual political climate of the quote unquote free speech rallies and the debate we're going through right now in real life about what is protected speech, what is just talk, what is an opinion, uh, and what is actually violence and what is actually criminal. This is a very important episode, and I, I had a lot on my mind about the issue at hand already before I even watched it. And so I actually found this difficult to watch in the sense that I haven't unpacked all of my own 
personal boundaries yet. Uh, my husband and I get into arguments pretty frequently, I think, about free speech and what what one has a right to say and what the legal system and, and justice should protect. And I feel like I maybe come out on a <laughs> a more militant place here because I think speech can be violence. And I think hate speech and speech that incites violence can, in fact, be criminal and maybe shouldn't be protected speech. Uh, we're watching literal Nazis march in our streets right now and Nazis are what we agreed as a planet were like the ultimate low-hanging fruit evil. History tells us that World War II is quote-unquote the perfect war because the bad guys were so clearly heinous and so obviously the villain that what could we do as humanity but unite and crush this darkness and the fact that now I see people on social media sort of standing up for Nazis right to their opinions I'm like oh my god 2017 what are you doing so to bring it back around to this episode the thing I'm still wrestling with and I'd like to hear your opinion on too is free speech versus actual treason or like free speech versus intent to overthrow the government because even though we side with the rebellion i think we can all agree the rebellion is in the right here if the government is the horde and hordax rule is the rule of law free speech doesn't protect these people at all these people are criminals <laughs> very much so where does speech become treason you're totally right. Like, the rebels are the heroes because that's the way the show is oriented. But in the world of Etheria, they're the villains. And The Atlantic published a really cool piece earlier this week about kind of the things you were talking about, this free speech. It's a position called free speech absolutism, that everything has to be protected, uh, with, except for the things that are already uh, not protected. Like, you know, the easy example, shouting fire in a crowded theater. Anything that, like, incites violence, for instance. And there's a whole lot of gray area there. But the idea is that there's kind of a movement now on the far left to not protect quote-unquote hate speech. And the problem with that is that it's kind of a short-sighted argument because the people in power determine what is hateful. And as we've already seen from the Trump administration, anything that they don't like could be considered hate speech. And the reason that we have these free speech laws is to protect the people who need it. And unfortunately, when you have this privileged hierarchy, any further attempt to legislate who's protected is only going to benefit the people at the top, I think. No, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And so I think as a society, we have to dig deeper into the gray area that you mentioned. So you said Charlottesville. What was gray about Charlottesville? Well, people with Nazi imagery and torches and chants specifically marched past a historically black church. And the people in the church felt frightened and intimidated and felt with great certainty that the path of this march went by their church while it was assembled very purposefully to say 
we are intentionally doing this to frighten you and put you in your place. And so at that point, I mean, my personal view and my heart is that that's not just speech anymore. That is physically intimidating with crowd and volume and fire. Um, And so maybe the words coming out of their mouths can be protected speech, but are you allowed to puff out your chest and wave around a torch and you know, beat your chest at a church where another race is gathering. I mean, that's that's one of the the scarier things about this to me. I'm going to say I listened to a really great podcast called Backstory, which is a podcast about American history, coincidentally out of the University of Virginia. And they did two episodes on Charlottesville after it happened. And they talked to the dean of law at UVA. And what she had to say about it was, because I agree with you, and it, it, you know, speech that incites violence is not protected. The problem is, inciting to so many courts often requires, to use a metaphor, that the, the horse is out of the barn already. You know, because you can't prove that something has incited until that incitation happens, maybe. Now, I certainly think there's enough precedent that things like swastikas are literal calls to violence on their own. Um, The UVA law dean also made another really good point, and I'll I'll post links to this episode in the show notes, by the way, so you guys can see I'm not just full of shit. Uh, Also made a really good point that maybe there's kind of a practical cost limit to freedom of speech, meaning uh, because groups like the alt-right, the Nazis, had to apply for a permit to march. And then there, the counter-protesters also had a permit. And then there's a mounting cost of getting security because these are very charged events. There may come an upper bound where the, the place where they're organizing can say, hey, you know what, we just don't have the resources to protect people when something this charged is going to happen. And on that grounds, we deny your permit. Well, sure. That's an important distinction to draw, I think, is freedom of speech is not also the guarantee of a platform, and it's not the guarantee of an audience. Um, At its core, freedom of speech is meant to protect you from the government acting out against you exercising your rights. But uh, as people on the right often like to say, private businesses can do whatever they want. And if a private business or an organization, whether that is a a private park ground or a gathering place of some kind, a hall or an event space wants to say it's just too expensive for you to speak here. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a Planned Parenthood or Love is Love rally or a Trump rally or a Nazi rally. They can say we don't want that speech here in our business. And even in a public space, because I mean, you saw how many police uh, were required for Charlottesville or like San Francisco this past weekend where the um, the Nazi rally, I'm just going to call them Nazis, the Nazi rally was canceled. Um, it's just so, it's such an ordeal that it becomes not even practical to support these events. And like good on the counter protesters for like showing up in force and making that happen because also, the fucking Tina Fey thing happened, and, like, I get the argument that that was satire, maybe, but, like, if you really think the right answer is to just stay home, like, fuck that. Like, no, show up all and make your voice heard, 
because also freedom of speech doesn't guarantee that you are the only voice speaking. And it drives me crazy that people think that it does. I do want to point out that you just said, you know what, I'm just going to call them Nazis. And I feel like you have the right to do that. Because if there's one thing I've seen in politics, even before Trump, it's that we will rebrand things to change the dialogue around them so often. So global warming was global warming. And then global warming became too much of a hot button negative cesspool. So they now they started saying climate change. But the great arc of history has now made people talk about climate change in the appropriate doomsday, negative, realistic way it's supposed to be spoken about. And recently, uh, the Trump administration, I believe, suggested saying weather extremes just like let's just keep rebranding something so nobody can pin down or or act against it which is why the nazi thing truly surprises me i feel like the alt-right could get away with a lot of speech and a lot of action if they just didn't literally wave swastika flags around and throw up the salute and yet, literally, that's what we're doing. Like, we've chosen Nazism instead of cleverly just calling it something else. I mean, if we have to be fair, and it, I don't want to be, but in case somebody out there is, like, super fact-checking us, I know that the people on that side aren't one homogenous being, and that I'm sure there are some among the crowd that were not in support of the swastikas flying or the kind of KKK imagery that we saw. At the same time, if those are your buddies, like, fuck you. Like, you messed up, and you need to own your fucking shitty opinions. Right. I certainly don't like being stereotyped as a millennial or a liberal, so I'm not going to say everyone on the right supports Nazi imagery. But everyone at that rally... Was at least okay with it. No one at that rally said, said stop. Right. But Vesser, the horde is so powerful and so many, and we are few. That is why we must band together, not just here in Galebreath, but all over Etheria. We are no match for the science. We're simple peasants and farmers. If we challenge the horde, they'll destroy our village and make slaves of all our people. There are people resisting the horde all over Etheria, and they are not slaves. It can be done, Theron. Time after time, we have stood up to the horde and won. The reason the Horde is still in power is that we are just a handful of people. We need your help. So here's another thing, though, speaking about the right, and you kind of talked about this in our pilot, and I think it's worth noting, is that under eight years of Obama, and I think still, still now, people on the right would see themselves in the position of the rebels in Shira, that they think that they are the ones who are oppressed and that their speech is being threatened by, quote, PC culture, and it makes them feel as though they are the righteous ones, even though their opinions are typically so heinous and so wrongheaded that they're not. But I think they put themselves in the hero's shoes here. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and it comes from a place of generations-long privilege. When you are, say, a white Christian male, you've always had the vote, you've always been able to marry who you wanted to marry and worship the way you wanted to worship, that it's really easy to see even the friendliest of challenges, just the demand for some basic equality as oppression. Um, 
I personally think that narrative is crap. <laughs> I think that is a sorry excuse for oppressing others, but there are people in my family and circle of friends that I think have that stance. And so I, I get it, but I agree, you know, um, just like Adora was going to give a rousing speech to convince the people in the middle that they had to come to the rebellion. I think we see in the corners of the internet in your 4chan and lesser Reddit pages, lesser subreddits, uglier subreddits, that there are people rallying behind this message that PC culture is oppressing them. And they, they would see themselves on the good end of this of this episode, just like you say. But we already drew the distinction that proves that they're wrong. Because no one is taking away their right to speak. What we're doing is challenging their ideas with better ideas. That's the free speech marketplace. And that's something that the right, if they really believe what they say, should be all for. You know, I, that culture has decided that, hey, you don't get to be homophobic. You don't get to be racist. That's not cool. That's not where you're supposed to be. And that's, that's just free speech working out itself. The, Barack Obama didn't come in and say, hey, you can't say gay slurs now. He didn't say that. That's culture changing and you not adapting. There's no shadow weaver in the real world. Yet. <laughs> and the smooth tongues of those rebels will have everyone under their spell. If there was only a way I could silence them. Hi! Have a very thing, Ordak. May I use Mantena? Take him. I have no use for him. Oh, not me, your business. Let me go get someone from the dungeons. Mantena! Stay here. What do you want him to do? Just talk, Mantena. Um, talk? I don't know what to say. How about a joke? Come, darkness. Come, trouble. Put his voice into my bubble. Divorced from all of this, because it's such a heavy topic and we just had to get it out there. And I also think it's worth noting the writer of this episode, super like hippie, dippy, lefty guy. We know where he stands. He knows where he stands. Check out his Twitter feed sometime. It's just retweets of people shitting on Donald Trump. I don't know. I thought aside from that, this was a, um, a middling to strong episode. Like, I actually was really disappointed that it's kind of like this classic superhero trope that you, if, if someone can transform into a more powerful form, you take away the thing that allows them to do that, and then you see how they react. And Adora doesn't get to do much without being able to transform. She has to run away from a battle, and then she effortlessly infiltrates the Fright Zone with Bo. And that's really it. I, I kind of wish there was more to challenge her not being able to turn into She-Ra. Yeah, I ended up, this is the first episode I watched twice, and I'm glad I did, because the first time I watched it, I was left rather lukewarm about the challenges here. As you say, there was a little bit of pantomiming that was frustrating for a second while we were voiceless, and then we got through it, and there is a cool action sequence near the end where Shira actually fights Hordak in like a... A, one, a real one-on-one -on -one sort of more high stakes than usual way. He's usually behind some smokescreen or behind a, a panel somewhere ordering others around, and they really actually lock horns. And that was very cool. But in terms of 
just the voices were in bubbles and then we quickly got them all back. We, we barely saw any suffering or any hardship take place due to the main challenge of this plot. Uh, and so when I got to watch it a second time, I got to dig deeper, not only into challenging my own views of free speech, but trying to find what else this episode had to offer. And one of the things that I really latched onto my second viewing was um, when Adora is confident and when she isn't. Uh, she's such a, a sassy character most of the time. You know, how does it feel to be wrong so often? She's just so sassy. But then just the fact that she's asked to give a speech, she's not actually confident in it. And it takes Bo to say, well, you're certainly inspiring to me to have her really think that, yeah, maybe this is a good thing for me to do. And so I started contemplating if these characters could self-identify what their strengths were, what would they say? Um, I often look to Sailor Moon, the anime, uh, Magical Girl anime, when watching this because there's there's a lot of commonality between Sailor Moon herself and She-Ra. Namely that Sailor Moon is a very flawed uh, young woman. She's, <laughs> but in like a normal teenage way. So Usagi is always late to school. She eats too much. She's very emotional. She's clumsy. And I like uh, that she still gets to be the leading lady of that show. And it's fun to see vulnerability from Adora as well, to occasionally see her go, you know, I don't think this is something I'm good at, but she goes and does it anyway. And I think that's that's what makes a good role model for kids. We're almost in the village of Galebreath. I don't understand why the townspeople want to hear me talk. Because you're the leader of the rebellion. Well, still, it's it's very strange. No one has ever asked me to speak before. The rebels of the village feel you will inspire others to join. You certainly inspire me. You know what I enjoyed about this episode a lot was, well, first, it's interesting. Hordak is so cruel to the people under him. I think that really comes out in this episode, both with Shadow Weaver and Mantena. But then there's yeah. this really great moment at the end, which has this like straight up Looney Tunes animation style where like Hordak is fighting She-Ra in that last sequence. And he's positioned himself over the trap door that he always uses to drop his poor minions into. And Mantena, who has been dropped like twice in this episode, sneaks into the throne room and sees that that's where Hordak is. And he kind of like rubs his hands together and gives the camera this like Benny Hill grin. <laughs> and then he presses the trap door button and dro like drops Hordak in it. And I thought that was so funny. Yeah, the relationships within the Horde were something that I caught in this one too. What is the name of the little blue pig character who turns into a box? Imp. Imp. Okay. I, I should have known it was going to be something obvious like that. Imp gets tricked into changing his form from a box back into himself, releasing all of the voices. And what he says to Shira is, uh, I'm going to go tell Hordak that you were mean to me. And what I wrote on my notebook was, are there established rules in the Horde against just meanness? Like, why would he even be inspired to try that? Hordak doesn't seem like the type of guy to care, but it almost establishes, like, somewhere along the way, Hordak was like, now, now, everyone, we have to have a united front. Don't be mean to one another. <laughs> I think 
just Imp is also like his pet? Because there's the part too where Shadow Weaver is like threatens Imp with something, and then Imp goes, "Oh, well, what if I, what if I told Hordak you let Adora get away?" And then Shadow Weaver's like, "Uh, let's just forget it." So I don't know. I think Imp, for whatever reason, has been spared of Hordak's wrath, but he certainly has no respect for um, probably the only competent underling he has, Shadow Weaver, who like does a pretty good job of scheming this episode and just falls a little short. Yeah, given how many episodes I have under my belt now, I I think I'm ready to put Shadow Weaver as probably the most competent member of the Horde. And I think the only reason she isn't more successful is that anytime she gets too close to being truly dominating... Hordak gets all squicked out about magic and kind of shuts her down. I think if if she had her own little empire, she might really rock. Yeah, and doesn't isn't it even in this episode where Hordak's like, and that's what I didn't like about Skeletor, too much magic. Yeah, like, he's you know, he says I trust my science and machines. Apparently not unanimously though, or you wouldn't have sended you wouldn't have sent the the sorceress out on this one in the first place. Whatever. Also Totally unintentional. This is only funny with about 13 years of hindsight, but at one point in this episode, Scorpia definitely goes, what happened? <laughs> what? Have you not seen, uh, oh my God, it's one of the Christopher Guest movies, A Mighty Wind, I think. Oh, no. I don't even remember the actor's name, but his character just keeps going, what happened? What happened? Let's start right out. Hey, what happened? So to kind of give this episode one more maybe more optimistic look at the at politics today the last thing that i wrote down was that hordak's lack of success in this episode and the the addition of more people to the rebellion really plays into the idea that uh the more you grasp onto power the more it slips through your fingers um the more Hordak tries to silence people and crush them, the more literally join the rebellion. Like, I don't know if those guys at the beginning would have bothered joining the rebellion if they'd never become directly attacked. And now, because they were directly attacked, they've joined this movement, and the movement is bigger than it had been at the start of the episode. And if I were to try to say something positive about the Trump administration... Uh, we've talked about this before. I just feel like so many more liberal, progressive people are activated and trying to make good change instead of just hitting like on Facebook and going back to their daily lives. But even more literally, if we want to talk law, whether it's the the Muslim ban or now this uh, banning of transgender people from the military, the law keeps stepping up and challenging these things and pushing against them and asking, are they constitutional? Is this within the president's right? Is this fair and is it legal? And perhaps we wouldn't have had those conversations on behalf of the oppressed to begin with, were it not for someone trying to crush them in such a real and quantifiable way. And so I wonder... If and when we come up for air from this administration, how much good will actually have been done because someone decided to try and grasp onto that power harder? Just 
break the bubbles and your voices will return. Watch! My voice! I can talk! Thank you for bringing my voice back to me, Adora. Count me in for the rebellion. What do you say, Barris? I say long live the rebellion! Hey, Listen, Adora. I think even Hordak can hear them. I don't know if there's much to say about the moral here. We already kind of gave our ethical take throughout the episode. But let's try. So Lookie says, You know, She-Ra and her friends fight for freedom because it's very important. One of the freedoms they fight for is called freedom of speech. It means that you have the right to talk about anything you wish. Ask your parents or teacher to tell you more about freedom of speech. It's important. Bye now. All right, here's what I want to talk about. Lucky just passes responsibility yes. on that one. So many, well, so many of these morals are like, hey, tell your parents, ask an adult. Like, Lucky, no, dude, this is your job. What are you doing? Yeah. And not only did he really once again pass responsibility, but I think he actively sabotaged the adults in this one by saying, it means you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Because it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Like, it means, like I said earlier in the episode, that the government's not going to come for you if you talk about whatever you want to talk about. But I know every smart-mouthed seven-year-old who talked back to their parents that night because they didn't want to eat their vegetables was like, Lukey said I could talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. I just saw it in my mind's eye the second that came out of his blue and yellow mouth. That's so true. You know, if... Very intelligent, educated adults can't agree on what freedom of speech means. Boy, it's really not a concept that you should just be throwing around to children without actually explaining like the nuances of it as much as you can. Because when you just hear those three words, freedom of speech, that a lot of people, including people in our cohort, um, misunderstand what that means so drastically. So, I don't know, maybe if she had come out in the internet era, Loki could have, like, provided a link to Wikipedia. <laughs> like, hey, go read this before you bother your parents. Don't call them any mean names. Don't go to school and be a total jerk to other kids. Just because you could say whatever you want doesn't mean your teacher won't suspend you. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com. Free speech is fantastic, but it's even better when your opinions are well-researched. Here's a website that can help. LearnLiberty.org produces educational content about everything from economics to foreign policy. The videos are especially useful to college students. Some of the available programs focus on campus-specific issues like safe spaces and free speech at schools. Check it out! LearnLiberty.org For the honor of-